Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, there are certain days that I'm especially grateful for my church family, and today's one of those days to be able to gather like this, and be able to sing together, open God's Word, celebrate baptism together. It's a joy, so it's really an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's where we're studying verse by verse through this great New Testament letter of Peter. If you are new, or maybe today is your very first Sunday, or you haven't jumped into 1 Peter with us, I invite you to do that. Uh, we're walking through this book over the next few months together. There's a reading plan that you can follow along. I certainly invite you to do that. Uh, we'll be going verse by verse every Sunday, and today we come to chapter 2, around verse 13 or so, is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. But as means of just kind of a reminder to set the context of what's going on here in 1 Peter chapter 2, let me just remind you, as you read 1 Peter, it's a letter. It's a letter written from the Apostle Peter to a group of believers around 70 A.D. or so living in the Roman Empire. Now, Peter refers to these believers, you remember back in chapter 1, the very beginning of the letter, he refers to them as elect exiles. He says they are elect exiles, meaning God has chosen these believers out of the world by his grace, and at the same time, they have very much been left in the world, the Roman Empire at that time. A time not known to be very friendly to believers under the Caesars and Nero's and the Claudiuses and all of those Roman emperors. It was not easy to be a believer at that time. And Peter writes and says, you are elect exiles. The word exile means someone who's staying in a strange place for a temporary period of time. And he comes to a particular issue today that we're going to look at in chapter 2 that's really vital for us, very important for us. It's all important for us, but here's what Peter's going to deal with today in chapter 2 that we're going to look at. Peter's going to deal with a particular reality that uh, for these believers, they're living in the Roman Empire. That their lives are countercultural to everything around them. Uh, they're... They, they follow a different king than the emperor. They, their king is Jesus, a different master. That's countercultural. Their, their lives are different. They've been born again by the Spirit of God. Everything about them is different. It's countercultural. Their beliefs are countercultural. The message that they proclaim is countercultural. Now, here's the reality for you and I and every believer this morning is this. Countercultural people will have critics. Peter is writing to these believers and saying, What do you do or how do you silence your critics, those who are uh, in opposition or have a low opinion of you, of your beliefs, of your way of life, of the way you conduct yourself? A critic can be defined as a person who expresses an unfavorable opinion of something. Countercultural born again believers will have critics who have various opinions about our way of life, about our message, about our beliefs. Peter's writing to these believers and he's basically saying this How do you deal with your critics? How do you deal with those who don't agree with your way of life, your message, everything about you that's different because you belong to a different master? 
Peter's writing to them. He's writing to us. And he picks up verse 11. I'll read a few verses to give you background. And then we'll land in verse 13 in just a minute. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and aliens. That's another descriptive phrase of it's not our home. We're passing through for a temporary period of time. Sojourners and exiles, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There's a war within. There's a war without. He says, verse 12, how do you deal with the critics? Verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, the way you deal with your critics is your life. Is there something notably different about your life, the reasons of your life, your conduct, the way you live your life? He goes on and he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the world you live in honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do critics of the gospel become followers of the Lord Jesus? They watch the honorable lives of those who claim to know Jesus. And there is a consistency between their lives that they live and the message that they proclaim. He says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Very challenging to me when I read this this week. A a thought came to my mind. It was this, the conduct of our lives. If you're here and you name the name of Christ, the conduct of our lives either validates the gospel message that we proclaim or it undermines the gospel message that we proclaim. I was just thinking about this as well, that the greatest hindrance throughout church history to the advancement of Jesus and the advancement to the gospel is often the gap that exists in our lives between the message of Jesus that we proclaim and our conduct that is on display in the world in which we live. You get that? Peter says, you silence your critics by keeping your conduct honorable. And over the next few weeks, Peter gives some specific illustrations of areas of life. There were were some serious criticisms being leveled against believers in this day, similar to even criticisms leveled against believers today. Here here were a few of them. They were criticized for being un-Roman. They don't have allegiance to the Roman emperor. There's no allegiance to the Roman government. You're, You're not going to be good citizens because you claim to follow another king. That that was a criticism leveled against believers. There was this allegation that they were going to destroy the economy and the economic system because with all the talk of freedom, how were servants ever going to obey their masters? How were employees ever going to rightly honor their bosses? Because all this talk of freedom in Christ, and there was an allegation you're going to destroy the order economy there was a charge that the christians even tried to destroy families so many children were coming up and following christ and wives were leaving and there, there were these things happening and there was not this understanding that, no 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 scripture calls us to honor the family and peter takes these allegations and he says okay 
Over the next few weeks, he talks about our conduct in these different spheres of life. This week, this should be pertinent to all of us. What does it look like to live as honorable citizens toward our government? Next week, we'll talk about what does it look like to live as honorable employees toward our bosses. In the next few weeks, we'll talk about husbands and wives and wives and husbands. We'll talk about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood as Scripture defines it. Peter deals with all of these things. And the whole point is this. Keep your conduct honorable so that your critics are silenced, so that these critics will see the validity and the truth of this message that you're proclaiming. That's the background and the context of what we're getting ready to read. So in the midst of all of that, Peter jumps in in verse 13 and he says, let me give you an example. Here's an illustration of life that believers are to look different, act different, be different. Our lives are to be honorable or to conduct ourselves with honor so that our lives validate the message that we proclaim. Look with me in verse 13. I'll read a few verses here and then give you a big truth and we'll make some application points to these verses. Verse 13. Peter says, here's your first illustration. Be subject. Be subject. The word literally means submit yourselves. Live submissively for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether that be the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and the praise of those who do good. So why in the world would you live that way? Uh, You do know that the emperor that's being referred to here is probably Nero or Claudius, one of those men that you would think of as being absolutely evil. In many ways, they were evil. Peter says, we live submissively to those governing authorities. Verse 15, why? For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You silence your critics by the conduct of your lives. Verse 16, he says, live as people who are free in Christ. We're free, right? Absolutely. Free in Christ. But he comes back and says, never are not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But instead, live as servants of God. Verse 17, kind of a summary statement for all this. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Speaking of fellow believers, fear God. Honor the king. Honor the emperor. Now let's take all this and let's try to come up with a big truth that flows out of these verses. We usually have a big truth that's taken directly from the word and then some implications of that. We call those big ideas. So here's a big truth for you this morning. It's this. God's people submit themselves for the Lord's sake. Our lives are characterized by an attitude and a posture of submissiveness for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? What does that look like? Because some of you right now, I know even at the word submission, you're, you're cringing. Oh, that word is such a dirty word. What does that mean? 
What does the idea and the posture and the attitude of submissiveness look like in the life of a believer? Because the Apostle Peter says it is to be a characteristic of the lives of believers. Therefore, that our conduct is so different from the world around us. It validates the message of the gospel that we proclaim. So let me give you some illustrations of what this means. God's people submit themselves for the Lord's sake. Verse 13. Go back and look at it again with me. Peter says, but subject, or be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, if you want to circle that little word in your Bible, the word subject or be subject literally means submit yourselves. It is an imperative, meaning it is in the command tone of voice. It's something we are commanded to do by God himself. The idea of submissiveness is willful yielding. Placing ourselves up under, now this is huge, listen. Placing ourselves up under God-ordained authority. Placing ourselves willfully, respectfully, up under God-ordained authority. It is not passive weakness. It is not Mealy mouth, milk toast weakness. That's not the idea. It is power under control, but willingly, respectfully placing ourselves up under God ordained authority. It has the idea that there is an order to things. There is an order to creation as God has designed it. The word submit yourselves here in that day literally was a military term. It was used to refer to a military uh, contingent arranging themselves in an orderly fashion under their commander. It was the idea. It was those who are under that commander arranging themselves orderly under his authority as ordained by God. To put oneself in a posture or an attitude of submission. Peter says that is an attitude, a posture of believers. Don't you say submit to just anybody, submit to everyone? Who is that submission to be to? Well, Peter's first illustration here is he says, verse 13, to every human institution. Now, let me try to break this down a little bit. That, that doesn't mean every human. That's not what he's saying. The word here, every human institution, the idea of institution literally means it's the word for divine creation. It's actually used other places in the Bible for the word creation. He's saying you submit yourself to every divine creation. The word creation could mean an institution. It could mean a person. You say, okay, help me put all that together. Here's, here's what he's saying. We willfully, respectfully place ourselves up under those God-ordained earthly institutions and their human representatives. The God-ordained institutions. It's an order of creation. That's the term that he's using here. God has established an order. God has placed order of authority in all of creation. We are to willfully, joyfully submit to those institutions and people whom God has ordained as roles of authority. Citizens to government leaders. Servants to masters. Wives to husbands. Believers to one another. And then Peter gets even more specific for the people in this day and us. He goes on in verse 13 and he says, okay, let me go even more specific and let me give you a specific illustration. Verse 13. 
He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Illustration number one. Whether it be to the emperor. Now, if you have trouble digesting that this morning and you go, do you mean you're talking about government leaders that maybe we don't always trust, maybe we don't always agree with, maybe we don't always vote in line with our government leaders? I have a little trouble with that. The trouble you currently have with your government leaders, which maybe we all do, is nothing compared to the trouble these Christians had in that day. I assure you. The emperors in that day were known for absolute authority. They were known for absolute abuses of authority to the point of the taking of lives of believers, church. But still, God is saying there's an order that has been established and the posture of your life is to be one of submission to God-ordained authority. The emperor Caesar was obviously in view. Yet even with Caesar, God is saying here in verse 13, Peter is reminding his readers at the outset that these rulers are merely human creatures created by God and existing ultimately under God's lordship. Amen? That's an important thing to keep in mind. He goes on, he says, the extent of that continues. He says, verse 14, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He extends the submission when we're talking about government. He says to governors, to those who have been sent, sent by him. And then he really gives the purpose of government to punish evildoers and to praise those who do good. That's really the purpose of government. To punish evil, to restrain evil, and for the praise of those who do good. Now, here's your first big idea. Ready? Jesus' followers submit to governing authority. Jesus' followers submit respectfully, honorably, in our attitudes, in our actions to governing authorities. You say, Pastor Mike, if we're being real honest, do you always do that perfectly? Nope, all the time. And I'm just going to be absolutely honest with you. This is incredibly convicting to me. My family calls me out on this all the time. I probably watch too much news about what's going on. I build these negative attitudes. I want to lay blame where maybe it's not supposed to be laid. And I forget that whatever governing authority is in place, whether I always agree or I don't agree, Scripture says there is an order that put in place by God. And our posture is to be to honor that authority and honor those representatives ultimately as unto the Lord. See that? Does that apply to the day in which we live, especially the last three years? Absolutely. Does this mean we always agree? Absolutely not. Does this mean there's limits? Yes, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Peter is saying Jesus' followers submit an attitude, a posture to governing authorities. Proverbs 24, 21, you can just write this down, says, My son, fear the Lord and the King. And do not join with those who do otherwise. There's an order to society. Matthew 22, they come to Jesus and everybody was up in arms because they were under Roman oppression during the days of Jesus. Remember that. Remember much of the uh, 
questioning of Jesus by the religious leaders of that day and even some of the rejection of Jesus was because he didn't come in and destroy the Roman government. He didn't establish his own kingdom. Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And when he did not do something about the Roman government of the day, they said, "Why? what's going on? They were frustrated with Jesus. So in one case, Matthew 22, someone is saying basically, why in the world should we pay tax? We don't support what they're doing. We're not going to pay our tax. You know the story. They said, see, whose likeness is on this coin? They said to him, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God. Pay your tax. Honor the governing authorities, Jesus said. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There is to be an attitude and a posture among God's people that we may violently disagree, passionately disagree, but there is a posture and attitude of honoring those who have been placed in authority as unto the ultimate king, King Jesus, that, listen, you don't see in the world around us. And that attitude and that posture is to validate the message of the gospel that we serve an ultimate king, King Jesus. See how this applies? Jesus' followers are to submit to governing authorities. Now, I don't want to take a long time to talk about this. I want to chase a rabbit really quick as we have time. Throughout history... Throughout the history of the church, even throughout scripture, there's often been, when it comes to the relationship of believers and government, there's ditches that we get off into on either side of the issue. Jesus says this, this, you're to submit to governing authorities. There's a ditch we get on one side, and I call it this. You can call it zealous nationalism. Zealous nationalism can be defined this way, that we believe our, our ultimate allegiance... Our ultimate hope is in our own government, a a political party, or a particular national leader. What can often happen is right love for country can become idolatry of our country. There was no amens on that one, but that can happen, especially in the South, if we're really honest. Say, how do I know? Our hopes are fixed on an election outcome. We're, we're devastated when an election doesn't turn out like we thought. Your hope may have been in the wrong place. We're overjoyed unnecessarily at the election outcome because we think that's the answer. Or issues are first determined. Watch this. Issues of major concern are first determined through the lenses of my American citizenship instead of the authority of God's word. Our allegiance first is to King Jesus. That's a ditch we can get off into. But there's a ditch on the other side. The ditch is this, dishonoring rebellion against government. The idea is this, because Jesus is my master, because I'm born again, I can disregard human government altogether. Freedom in Christ is interpreted as a license to reject all human authority. Instead of seeing government as a gift from God, ordained by God, an institution to be honored, it becomes the object of all criticism and all slander. And that's not a posture of submissiveness. The Bible calls us back to this. We are to have an attitude and a posture of submitting to government authorities as unto the Lord, ultimately for the, for the validation of the message of the gospel of Jesus.
See that? Now, a few more things really quick. We'll keep beating this drum, as Peter does here. So help me again, Pastor Mike. Why would we do this? The Bible tells us here. Why would we do this? Look back again, verse 13. For the Lord's sake. The first reason our attitude is this, for the Lord's sake. In other words, this phrase here in verse 13, for the Lord's sake, implies that our obedience to human authorities ultimately honors God. And watch this. And fulfills God's ultimate purpose. God's not out of control. God's not trying to put it all together. He says this is the will of God that we submit willfully and honorably to those that he has put in place for his ultimate purposes. God achieves his purposes even through those he has allowed to come into authority. Verse 15, he says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, this is the will of God. And just think about it. They in that day and us in this day live in a toxic, slandering, irreverent culture. I mean, you live in a toxic culture today, you know that, and there's slander, and there's ridicule, and there's constant warring against one another. For a believer to say, yes, I might disagree, but to have a posture of honoring authority in a way that is ultimately submissive to King Jesus, the Bible says, is the will of God that your critics are silenced and validity is given to the message you proclaim that Jesus has changed your life. He says, this is the will of God. See that? Now, final question really quick in the time we have is this. So, Pastor Mike, I'm taking a deep breath on this. I get all this in our current cultural, political moment. Are, are there any exceptions to this? Does the Bible ever point or mention a case where we say, yes, you're a governing official. Yes, you're in leadership. But the answer to what you're saying is no. I will not comply. Well, there's a few instances in the Bible. The book of Hebrews, or the book of Exodus, the Hebrew midwives refused Pharaoh's orders to kill the Hebrew babies when they were born. No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's orders before the golden statue. Wise men in the book of Matthew were told by God to disobey King Herod's orders and not go back that way. And they departed another way. In Acts chapter 5, Peter himself, who is writing this letter, when told by the officials to stop proclaiming Christ, Peter said, we strictly, or the leader said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, here's a great line, we must obey God rather than men. Is there a point that it might come to that... We must obey God rather than men. Here's the principle. God's people willfully, respectfully submit in action and attitude up to the point. Up to the point we are called to do what Scripture forbids. Or we are called to stop what Scripture commands. Beyond that, we willfully submit to governing authority. Hear that? 
There may be a point where we're called to do what is forbidden in Scripture, and the Bible seems to say, no, that point you do not cross. You obey God rather than men. There may be a point that you're called to stop doing what Scripture commands us to do. At that point, Scripture says, no, you obey God rather than men. But in the majority of cases, there is an attitude of honor and a posture of submissiveness to those God has placed in authority over Amen? There's a few. Let's try that again. Amen? Amen. And he said, second big idea is this. Pastor Mike, here, here's the problem I have with that. Uh, what about Braveheart? Anybody know what Braveheart is, the movie? It's one of, it's the great, one of the great guy movies of all time. Braveheart's known for one of the classic lines in all movies of all time. You know what that line is? What is it? Freedom! Right? Something like that. Say, Pastor Mike, but my rights. I'm free in Christ, right? I'm free to do whatever I want in Christ. I'm I'm free to live any way I want. Peter deals with that in verse 16. In this context, he comes back and he says, live as people who are free. We are free in Christ. We've been set free from sin. We are free to obey. We are free to walk. Jesus has set us free. But... Not using your freedom as a cover-up or a smokescreen, literally, for evil, but living as servants of God. Here's your second big idea. Jesus' followers are set free to obey, not to excuse sin. Uh, Evidently, there was some misunderstanding in the early church here that their freedom in Christ was a license to sin instead of an opportunity to willfully, wholeheartedly obey King Jesus. And that's been true throughout church history. There's this distortion of grace that says, yes, I'm going to claim my freedom as that which supersedes everything. And if you come against me with anything that seems to compromise my freedom in any way, then I'm going to say no and remind you that I'm free in Christ. Peter comes back and says, yes, you are absolutely free in Christ. You have been set free from sin. You have been set free for wholehearted, joy-filled obedience to King Jesus. There's a distortion anytime a teacher or someone takes the grace that we have received in Christ and that grace is used to distort and say, no, no, this grace is really a license to do whatever you want. You can live any way you want. You're free in Christ, covered by grace. It's all about grace, man. Peter says, no, 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 no. In Christ, you have been set free. In Christ, you have the capacity to willfully, joyfully obey King Jesus with your whole life. Even, he says, in the context of you are free to joyfully obey and honor governing authorities who have been set over you for the glory of God. He goes on, verse 16, quickly. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then he gives a summary statement in verse 17. We'll look at that quickly and then we'll wrap it up. He says, honor everyone. Honor everyone? That doesn't mean we agree with everyone, but it does mean as those who believe the created order, every human being, whether we agree with them or not, is deserving of a degree of honor from believers because they are created in the image of our King. 
Even those who we totally disagree with are deserving of a degree of honor because they are image bearers of God Almighty. We don't have to honor everything that's said. We don't have to honor and we won't every position that's kept. But there is a degree of honor that we extend to every fellow human being because they're created in the image of God. Amen? Then he goes on and he says, Love the brotherhood prioritize the people of God, fear God, and then he wraps it up again with this, honor the emperor, honor the king. Now I'm going to give you one last final big idea in just a minute. The team can come on up and just begin to play, but here's here's something I want you to see at the end of this. There's something very important that we see in this, and parents, I want you to hear me something, hear me for just a minute. This passage and what we've been studying this morning reminds us that your children in your home are learning attitudes toward authority by watching you. Very challenging, convicting to me as a parent and one who's in authority. And the posture that I as a parent or I as an adult have toward authorities in my life is what our children will watch and learn and mimic toward the authorities in their lives. Watch this, including you. So Father, help us as the people of God to be men and women who demonstrate and live lives of submission. First to you and to those in our world who you have placed in positions of authority over us. Final question, just a thought, where is the power to live this life of submission come from? Where where, where do we find that power as believers to live lives of submission? Jesus is ultimately a picture of submission. He's our example. He's our power. He lives within every believer. So let me give you an example and we're done. Matthew 26, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Innocent man, the night before he's going to be crucified and go to the cross, the guards, the authorities are coming to him in the garden. And the Bible says, and behold, one of those who came to him, came to Jesus, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest. They're coming to take Jesus away, the authorities. Peter pulls out his knife and strikes the ear of the servant. He was going for his head. He missed and hit his ear. And Jesus says, hold on, Peter. Doesn't work that way. He comes back to Peter and he says, put back your sword for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Meaning, here's what Jesus is saying. My father's purposes are carried out right now in this case by my submission to authority. Don't agree with what they're doing? I'm I'm an innocent man. The father's purposes were being carried out by Jesus' submission. Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate says, do you not know I have the authority to release you or set you free? Jesus comes back and says, you would have no authority over me at all, Pilate, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What's Jesus saying? I'm I'm freely yielding to Pilate ultimately because my authority or your authority has been given by my Father in heaven. He recognizes that one in authority was given that authority by his heavenly father. And Peter goes on in chapter 2, and he uses that as an illustration. He says, 
walk this way as Jesus has modeled and empowers us as a life of submission. Verse 23, last one. Jesus on the cross, going to the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He violated my rights. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I'm going to take justice into my own hands. No. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Final big idea and we're done. Jesus' followers submit on earth because we trust our Father in heaven. You pray with me this morning. Father, I pray you take these truths and you take these things that are painfully practical to our lives. Lord, I pray you'd search our hearts this morning and that our attitudes and our posture and our actions to those in authority over us, Lord, would be one of respectful, honoring submission, ultimately as unto you. And Lord, I pray in doing that, whether it's in the workplace, it's in our conversations, it's in our home, wherever it is, as your word says, those that hear and those that see will ultimately one day glorify you message of Jesus will be validated by the lives and conduct the lives we live I pray this for your namesake I pray this for your glory in Jesus name we pray amen